Welcome to the Nopalera podcast, a place where I share the journey of building my company from the ground up, as well as the stories of others in our community. I am your host, Sandra Velasquez, founder of Nopalera, a culture-forward brand that celebrates and elevates culture. Aside from making great products, we are cultural storytellers with a mission to inspire our community to stand in their worth. In this podcast, you will hear a mix of solo and guest episodes around the entrepreneurial realities of building a company. I launched Nopalera from my Brooklyn apartment with no outside funding while working three jobs, raising my child in the middle of the pandemic at the age of 44. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope it inspires you to live boldly. Storytelling is a fundamental part of the human experience that goes back to ancient times. From the earliest cave paintings to the latest Hollywood movies, stories have the power to captivate, inspire, and motivate us. When it comes to building a brand or any type of entity, honestly, storytelling is a critical tool for creating a strong emotional connection with customers. A well-crafted brand story helps communicate a company's values, beliefs, mission, and it makes it easier for your customers to understand what the brand stands for and why they should care. Ironically, many brands skip this step in their brand design, and unsurprisingly, most brands don't make it past the first year. When I was building Nopalera, I worked on the messaging alongside the branding. I wrote it out like I was writing a new religion. Today's guest is Beth Carr. For the last 18 years, she has been building brand systems at well-known companies such as Nestle, LA Fitness, and various biotechs and Bay Area startups. Applying her design, messaging strategies, and marketing experience, she's helped her clients engage their customers and grow millions in revenue, investments, and VC backing. She is the founder of Fortified Branding, a messaging and marketing strategy agency that empowers founders, executives, and scaling companies to break out of the mold, stand in their power, and amplify their brands through visual and verbal stories that connect with audiences magnetically. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the Novaleta podcast. Hi, Sandra. It's so good to be here. I am super excited for this conversation. As you and I always talk, we're always like, we really just need to record these conversations. So here we are. We're finally going to do that so that others can learn from your genius. But before we get into that, I want to go back to being a Broadway actor, living in New York, why you left that world and how you became a corporate marketer before you became your own independent agency owner. Yeah, I mean, I was a performer from the age of two with the San Francisco Ballet and ACT here in San Francisco, and then went to one of the most competitive acting schools in the nation at the time, Boston University, and then went to New York and had the privilege of surviving as an actor for my first seven years out of the 15 I lived there. And so there was off, off, off Broadway and some Broadway and some being a pit singer, like wherever you could get a job. But what followed me and haunted me the whole time was even then I was a storyteller. Even then through entertainment, we're storytellers, whether it's through song or poetry or movement or acting. And what was interesting is even growing my career as a performer in New York, I didn't feel like I was fully in control of my story. And me truly being the author and the producer, director, et cetera, et cetera. There's always someone else as a Broadway actor that always had the final impunto, the final way of like ending my sentences and starting my paragraphs, whether it was an agent, a casting director, a producer. And that thought just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I couldn't ignore it. And in the meantime, I was also surviving 
First, of course, the traditional way we all survive in New York as actors or artists is a hostess, bartender, a waitress. You go, oh, you're an artist in New York. What restaurant do you work in? I mean, that's the line. And it just so happened that even then I was like, show up positively in every moment. And so one of the French bistros that I worked in down in Greenwich Village, one of the customers was like, I just love the way you think. What if I trained you to be a graphic designer for American Express and Merrill Lynch? And I was like, that's the oddest question I've ever had. Why not? Sure. Everything's yes and. So they sent me to their agency and trained me for two weeks. And then I paid it off through like a modified rate for the first six weeks at Merrill Lynch as their graphic designer. And even there, I got to tell stories visually. It was detached from me. And yet, still at the same time, there are other people telling me how to tell a story. And that cracked open my corporate career, where even then, working my way up into C-suite, I normally was the only female or the only minority female, the only Latina, the only, the only, the only. And even then, people in the C-suite tried to modify my story or tell me when I could tell the story, but don't say it too loudly too aggressively, too angrily, you know, all the things that you hear a lot of women face in corporate. And so again, haunted by how do I get to tell not only my story, but how do I lift up many more people's stories instead of the one place I'm working for, whether it was the show or the job or the company. And so the universe just poured open in ways that I didn't understand that really felt quite horrible at the time from Broadway, being having shows shuttered, being fired from almost opening in Broadway to being in corporate. And every 18 months, the higher up was up in the ranks, let go because marketing, even in corporate, was normally the first thing on the chopping block when they were trying to save money. And so in 2019, after this long zigzag of a career, and being laid off abruptly right before Thanksgiving after raising millions of dollars for this Bay Area startup, I was like, now is time for me to have the courage to step through the fear, put a shingle out, open up my strategic brand messaging and marketing agency, Fortified Branding, and serve many in helping them elevate their stories because I already have this capacity of storytelling throughout my whole entire life. Yes. And I want to go back to when you were a Broadway actor, could you have ever imagined that you would own your own marketing agency? Did you kind of know you one day would? Did you have no idea? Is this like total surprise that this is how it ended up? Because <laughs> for me, like my career is a total surprise, right? Like this was right. never on my roadmap, right? I thought I was going to be a performer as well forever. Yes. No, never, never, ever. I thought I was going to be the household name of like the funny best friend, right? I typecast myself. I was like, I'm the funny best friend in the TV show, in the movie. I'm the new Broadway singer who can belt the poop out of this song and, you know, reach the top balcony. And I thought I would have a Broadway career my whole entire life. But I learned one of the gifts, I think, being a performer teaches you is if in your creative mindset, you also have the capacity to see doors that don't yet exist, or at least a window that you can crack open and crawl through. And what I saw was 
oh, if I say more to yes and, then more doors are going to open instead of me thinking that somehow I'm a failure for not staying on the one road. And I also think it's a little fallacy. A lot of times, especially as performers in the theater, the adage is like, oh, you didn't stick long enough with it or whatever it was, right? But I believe that true creativity and performance even comes in those moments where the door opens that wasn't there. Yes. And also, can we talk about how valuable rejection is? What it teaches you, it sucks in the moment, right? It sucks in the moment where you don't get the part, you don't get the gig, you don't whatever, right? You get passed over, they pick someone Mm -hmm. else, not this Mm -hmm. year, try again next year. Mm -hmm. But that muscle, like that is something that not everyone has, you know, because I was a performer too, right? This is what we share in common. Mm -hmm. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, this is so valuable that I have this really strong rejection muscle, like resilience muscle, right? That I've built Mm -hmm. and you have it too, because- That is what also helps you to keep going. You're like, okay, what's next? Nothing ends just because the show ends or you don't get picked. You do keep going and you find other ways to do what you're trying to do. So do you find value? I mean, now looking back, right? Because I think it sucks in the moment. Mm -hmm. But looking Mm -hmm. back, do you see the value of rejection? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. There's still moments where I will take it super personally when I am rejected, right? I have a mini pity party for about an hour maybe even a day, depending on how big the rejection was or how much I wanted it. But I always know that that's been happening for me. And part of that rejection has also allowed me to get over it faster or to move on or to dig in. There are times where it's like, oh yeah, you think I can't? Watch me, right? So it really depends on the situation, but it has definitely made my emotional skin thicker when rejection comes along. And then the recovery time, the window gets shorter and shorter. And then my goal and my why, telling other people's stories strategically to help them grow and amplify their voice, it becomes even clearer, right? That why becomes like this resounding kind of echo back to a rejection. Yes. Let's talk about storytelling. You are... (laughs) a master storyteller. Your tongue is made of knives. You are just so quick. I'm just always in awe of the things that come out of your mouth with ease. And clearly it's your gift. And I'm so glad that you're using this gift finally to, as you say, tell the stories of others and your own story, right? No one is holding you back. You are the boss now. So for people out there who are, because you work with different types of entrepreneurs, like you're telling so many different types of stories, right? You're now working with political campaigns, you're working with brands, you're working with service providers, and the importance of storytelling, like the importance of owning your words, when does that begin in the process? Like, okay, do I make the logo first? Do I get the words first? Do they happen at the same time? Like, tell me about that. I love this because design and words are body and shadow. You can't really separate them. Everything has started with a word. Words create worlds. They create wars. They create peace. And then if you are starting your brand and you're building out the visual story of it, how do you describe to the designer without words? It's very, very difficult. So if you're starting out and building your brand, it's really important to have ideas of visual stories that move you, whether it's packaging or colors or a mural or graffiti or whatever it is, what inspires you. But then what are the words that you can match as adjectives to already start to spark growing 
what you're about to read later. And we probably hear storytelling a lot, more and more and more in marketing for brands, even for politicians, as you pointed out. Stories are important because they transport people to a future vision, a future state. It invites, stories invite people in where they realize the brand, the politician, the service provider in front of them is going to help them thrive and survive. And where brands will make a mistake is they might get cut up in, oh, this packaging and the colors need to be so sexy. And you know what? Absolutely they do. But if you don't have the words to magnetize people to pick up the box on the shelf or to be driven to your website and understand what you want them to do, you're going to lose out on a bigger opportunity to reach more people. A lot of design companies, when you go to a design company, they'll focus on the beauty of it, the sexiness of it, the persuasive visual story. But some of those websites, it's then really, it's about them, right? It makes the brand about them. So they'll say things like, we are the best laundry detergent ever, right? Instead of how do you invite the user of your laundry detergent in, in a way that invites them into solving a problem or what success feels like? Things like wash once, <laughs> wear many times, right? Or whatever it yes. is. I just made that I up. love wash once. I love that. <laughs> because what you're saying, it's like, it's about making the customer the center of the story, not you, the brand, mm-hmm. right? As a customer, I'm like, does this laundry detergent work? Yes or no? you know, tell me how it's going to help my life to your point. And so my follow up question to that, Beth is, is everything storytelling? Absolutely. Because if I really think about it, like if you think about political campaigns, if you think about brands, ultimately, like the deeper I get into my business, the more I realize the importance of storytelling, because as a formulator, I can tell you, and I say this openly, there's really nothing new. It's all positioning. So talk to me about positioning, because when you say storytelling, it sounds like, oh, I'm making up a story and I'm going to tell it to you. Right. But like, can you define positioning? Yes. Positioning is where your words, your visual and verbal story are going to stand in the market and be like a flagpole instead of a flag. Right. So wherever the winds move in the market, whoever is wanting to invest in your company, whoever is wanting to buy from your company, whatever Wall Street is doing, you're positioned to the core of who your brand is with words that describe, words and visual stories that describe who you are, what you stand for, why you're in business beyond making money. Position is truly like, where are you pointing? Right. And this is, I think, something that I see a lot of brands not that they don't understand, but that they struggle with this because as you always say, right, I took this line from you, like we sometimes are inside the jar and we can't read the label, mm-hmm. right? We're so kind of in it, you know, and we think, especially in my category, right? In beauty, everyone thinks it's about their ingredients. And I'm yes. like, there's only so many ingredients in the world. It's not about your ingredients, <laughs> even though, yes, that can be part of the story that you tell. Like we can focus, right? Like I focus mm-hmm. on the cactus. That's part yes. of my story, but it's all about positioning of that and the storytelling that goes around that. So if I'm a brand and I am going to 
create a brand and it could be, listen, a service provider, like a service provider mm-hmm. still has a brand, right? Yes. You know, a financial advisor, a life coach, a ghostwriter for books, like they have to create a brand for people to trust in them. Mm-hmm. When do people come to someone like you? Most of our clients come to us after they've been doing it for about a year, year and a half. They have proven out their market. They mm. really truly understand their audience because here is a tip y'all who are just starting out. You're not for everybody. You can't be. Mm-hmm. If you're for everybody, mm-hmm. then you're for nobody. You are the true definition of modern mediocrity if you are for everybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. honing in on your audience, knowing what your most valuable offer is, what we sometimes call as the MVP, right? really important. So when clients enter, they already at least have their audience or what we call personas defined, very clear who they are, their age range, color, gender, beliefs, what they love, brands they love, things that they don't like, all of that nailed down. Quite even possibly, they understand their mission. Now, they might not understand how to say it really beautifully. That's where we help them come in. Right. But they really have a true grounding internally in their brand of who they are and what their purpose is in serving up their offering. Right. What did you learn? I want to go back to your corporate career because you work for big Mm. brands that, you know, people have heard of like brands like Nestle. LA Fitness, to name a few. What did you learn from working inside of those mega corporations about mm-hmm. how they approach this? Mm. Yeah, I saw the good and the bad, right? I saw the really amazing ways to do it and the ways to not do it. And so I won't say who, <laughs> but the big consumer packaged goods companies that I've worked for, they were great at understanding how to invite their audience in. Now, I was lucky enough to work on pizza and ice cream. So these are very happy products that have a really easy, regressive nostalgia and emotion attached. So creating copy, creating visual stories, super fun. Not easy, but super fun, right? Yeah. And so what they did well were really big headlines, no more than five words that would draw an audience in. And then they also understood the power of marketing. It's more than just word of mouth. It's more than just social media or your website. They really nurtured conversations. Your email is your gold. So is outreach. So are some influencers, but I would say your email is the most important. And then in other company experiences in corporate, they put marketing last. It was an afterthought. And there was a lot of fear. Oh, and let me back up. I think the most important thing about when you're starting brands and even these two brands you just brought up, the one that I just was talking about that did pizza and ice cream, they had an abundant mindset and could see the future with dollar signs, right? They knew what the revenue goal was for very specific business units and products. And because of that, they would drive to that and invest what it was necessary to hit those goals in a very smart way. In other companies, because there was so much misunderstanding of what marketing was and no willingness to learn what marketing truly could do, they thought marketing was putting it on social media. They thought it was changing the website or like word of mouth or, oh, look, we created an app. This should work. 
So it was very misdirected and it was very fear-based. And so there was no abundant mindset. And what I could see as a leader, not only of marketing, but you know, being in the C-suite with the rest of the company, they couldn't understand why they were always sputtering in growth. So I was able to see, oh, I can take a little bit of this and I can leave that behind. And I also can, even in those hard situations where they didn't believe in marketing, yet they hired me to be their head of marketing, you know, how do I make lemonade even now with their story where they will like it after instead of me asking permission? Yes. And I would love to know, I mean, obviously it's not really fair to compare like a small startup to let's say Nestle, but tell me about the size of the marketing department, Mm. because I think to your point, right? Marketing is to me, in my opinion, I feel like at the end of the day, we're all running marketing companies, right? People think they're running an ice cream company. You're running a marketing company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because marketing mm-hmm. is just us talking to our people. So I would love to know, because you were inside, right? You were inside the castle wall of these big companies. What were the sizes of these marketing companies? Yeah, of like the marketing department. This is going to be a shocker. We were always, it has always been through my whole career, 18-year career in corporate walls. It was always small and an agile team where people were multitaskers, wore a lot of different hats and focused in their specialty. So here I was, graphic designer, who could also write words. Then there were copyrights who also could do video. Then there were other writers that knew how to put together a podcast and write speeches, right? So our teams were less than 12 people normally, and we were very, very agile. And if they wanted special guerrilla campaigns, for example, we would write the brief, we would creatively direct it, but we would hire externally a contractor to come in because all they specialized in, for example, is guerrilla marketing. So they always kept it really skeletal. But 12 people is still... That's big. That sounds huge to me, right? Like I dream, like I salivate over having 12 people on my marketing team. Like amazing, right? Like to have someone that just does copy, how luxurious would that be, right? (laughs) Right. But I understand what you're saying. For a company that size to have just 12 people is very skeletal, right? Yeah. And I love the multitasking aspect because I think that that's just how it is now. (laughs) Everyone has to have multiple skills that they bring to the table, Yeah. right? So... What were the biggest learnings? I mean, I know you mentioned that, you know, you learned what to do, what not to do, right? But what were some of kind of like the bigger takeaways from working inside of those companies that had plenty of money, right? Mm -hmm. To accomplish their revenue goals, to make new products, to talk to their customers. What were some of the biggest learnings there that you were able to then take over when you started Fortified Branding? So internally, communication is key. Mm. Time management, project management folder organization and management, you know, even when you're a small company and maybe let's just say you have two to three people who work for you full-time or contract with you, even setting up, like, how do you want to name your files, right? What is the system so that you can easily find it and know what that asset is? Because the faster you go, the bigger you scale, that is key. So these things I learned internally, collaboration, curiosity, huge. I also learned from really great leaders and really not so great leaders, right? It came down to communication. It came down to ego. It came down to questions, curiosity. And I would also say internally creating environments where people really feel seen, heard, and valued. Mm. Because when you're creating an environment where you're not doing that for your team, you're not going to get the best work from them. 
And then when it came to publicly, we were taught at Nestle, which I love, and I still use this to this day because it was just so ingrained in us. Everywhere you go, every touch point you make, every interaction you have, even on a Sunday, you represent the company you work for. So ultimately, I turn that in as you represent your personal brand in every interaction as well as your brand. And so can you do it a little kinder? Can you say it with a smile, even though you're really fuming, you know, when you have to maybe like fight for specific pricing or with a vendor, how do you do your best to ask them how things can be better or resolved? For example, that was so huge, especially, you know, at a big company like Nestle, where they had so many different ingredients that they had to fight for because of inflation, price changes and market, right? All the things. And so I would say that was a huge takeaway. And another takeaway was always dress, adorn yourself with the way you are going to feel so wonderful. Even if it's you're sitting in your, on your couch and you're knocking out work, how do you already become the future state of what you envision yourself and your company to become? I'm not saying you have to always like front and put on like a face, but what are the things you're putting on your body, your face, your feet that make you feel more elevated than just rolling out of bed? Yes. It could still be your pajamas if those pajamas just feel so... I was going to say, if it's like a silk pajama set, you Hello. know. <laughs> right? But what you're saying is like, you get to decide how that future version of yourself feels. Yeah. And that comes with these like small things, right? Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like they're just insignificant, but it is ultimately about you stepping into your future self, right? And creating that environment and what you're wearing is part of that environment. And I saw that represented in these companies. Yeah. I love the point that you made about you're representing the company all the time, Mm -hmm. because I've heard that from other friends who have worked for large companies as well. And I think it's so important because I also have to remind myself of this now, like wherever I go, the world is small. (laughs) So you need to act right. Because you never know where you're going to run into someone again or in what capacity. Yeah, the world is small. But no, it is important. And I love that you made that point because I think it really means that you embody the brand all the time, right? And its values. So I'd love to hear like about Fortified Branding and what the values, when you created this company, what were like the pillars? What were the core values that you decided upon as the foundation? Here, I'll put a little asterisk that as we continue to grow, We get to also add more or shift our values to meet where you continue to grow to. Yeah. One of our biggest values, though, is being a solutionist. Mm. Something else that I learned in corporate. And so instead of just stating a problem or that you can't, what are two to three other solutions that you can come up with for you, for your team, for your brand that will help address the problem and no longer keep you stuck in the problem, right? What is the solution? So I always say, you know, one of our biggest values is we are a solutionist. Another value we have is clarity. It's everything we do. It's the way we tell stories. It's the way we communicate. Uh, You know, I always say to be clear is to be kind. And that's in every interaction from our clients to our vendors, to our team, Of course, uplifting and amplifying other Latina, BIPOC, queer voices is super important at a time where, because of the political scene, 
There are politicians out there trying to erase specific people's voices or to repress them or shove back history to a time where people were muted. And so that's also one of our values is like, how do you continue to amplify loudly, proudly? How do you help our clients be heard over the herd, break out of mediocrity, no longer fold themselves into these little boxes that were set out by dominant culture to fit ourselves into. So I would say those are the top three values that we hold. And we even screen clients that come in with that, right? Do you embody those values or at least meet those values with values that are similar? Because we also found, you know, when we first started, there was like a desperation, like, oh, any client is a good client. But we learned very quickly No, not every client is a good client. Whether they're not solutionists, they whine a lot. Or even if they don't value intersectional talent and people. I personally, I know with every client, we will help them make hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars. So why will we help a company that may fund campaigns or political parties that want to strip away the rights of women, queer folk, Black folk, brown folk, what is the point, right? So we use those values as a standard of screening as well. I love that. And I think that that's also one of the beautiful things about owning your own agency is you get to say yes, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Because not all clients are good. And I think that that's a great point because when you're working for corporate, like you don't really get to decide what the decisions, if there's morals, Mm -hmm. what the code of conduct is there, what the moral compass is, right? And so having that at your core, I think is so important and beautiful. I'd love to ask you just some rapid fire questions, Beth, because I know this is your specialty. Quick answers. We'll see. What is the best, the best piece of advice you've ever been given? That you get to change your mind, just like your careers. And the most accomplished people I know have switched their careers three to five times. And so allow yourself to imagine where you can take yourself where you can create a company, it's scary. But yeah, to know that you can change your mind is the most freeing thought ever. I agree. I co-sign this statement. (laughs) I also wish I would have learned that earlier in my life, actually, because for some reason, I don't know where we learned this thing that somehow if we decide something, we have to stay there. I don't know who taught me that. Is it society? I don't know where we learned that, but We somehow, a lot of us, I think, believe that, okay, well, if we get married, we have to stay married. If we have this job, we have to stay on this career path. Or if we live in the city, we have to stay here. Whatever it is, right? If we're broke, we have to stay broke. Whatever. So I love that. The power of changing your mind. Can you describe your perfect day? I'll talk about what I think my perfect day is for today because it might change. (laughs) You can change your mind. (laughs) I can change my mind. I've woken up from a beautiful, solid eight hours of sleep, and I cannot believe that the sun is shining because that's how restful it is. It feels like I had just fallen asleep, but I wake up really restful, and my mind is at rest. It's at peace. It's not racing like what I call the the squirrel lately, right? So it is very clear. It smells like ocean outside. And there's a nice breeze and the sun is out and the sky is blue without a cloud. And you can hear the trees moving and birds singing. And I'm in a place of safety and 
I'm with the beautiful people and family that I absolutely love that allow me, that I allow them, right? We allow each other to just be and express however they want to express themselves. And then I just get to let my mind have creative thoughts and record them and get sun on my face and have no dings or notifications or schedules or rushing or (laughs) traffic to deal with that things feel really easy and then the day winds down gathering friends and family around a table and of course you know as a Jewish Cuban you feed them you drink with them you laugh really hard with them you play music you sing and then you do it all over again the next day I love it. I really went there. I was like, I feel the sun on my face. I can hear the birds. (laughs) I especially love the part about your mind. When you wake up, your mind is calm because Mm -hmm. I am definitely in that place now where I'm like, to me, the goal is to be calm. Mm -hmm. The goal is to be free from the squirrel brain, right? The racing, the rushing. That's ultimately like, it's peace, right? Peace. Mm -hmm. I love that. That was beautiful. Last What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as an abundant, joyful connector. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Beth. I could talk to you for hours, but I'm luckily for me and you, we get to talk later on today. Yeah. For our podcast (laughs) listeners, this is all you get of Beth. You can find her on socials. All of her links will be below in the show notes. But Beth, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Muchas gracias, amiga. Thank you for being here with us. Remember to leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening from. Spread the word so we can impact and grow the community. If you are an entrepreneur looking for more real talk and resources, you can join my entrepreneurial newsletter from my personal website, sandralilavelasquez.com, but also visit nopalera.co to pick up your favorite self-care items for yourself and your loved ones. Join the Nopaleta mailing list to be the first to hear about new products, exclusive promos. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at nopaleta.co. Stay resilient.